Happy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome to Day 17 of the 2023 March Marathon. Igloo episode number 299. That's right. Episode number 300 tomorrow. I know Chief Keefe would be proud of me. But yesterday, what a day for the Big East in women's hoops. Well, let's start with, you know, I want to ease y'all into this, but uh, Seton Hall taking on St. Joe's in the first round of the WNIT. Seton Hall got out to a red-hot start. They were shooting like 70% from the floor. I mean, it was kind of insane. And Lauren Park Lane had 19 points in the first quarter as they led 31-13 to after one. And then St. Joe, I mean, credit St. Joe's, they've keyed in on LPL. And they got it down, I mean, granted, it was still a pretty big margin. 42-26 at the break. And then it got a little scary. It got down to a... Nine-point game heading into the fourth, 55-46. to So after a 31-point outburst in the first, just 24 the next two quarters. And then in the fourth, St. Joe's survived a bit of a... St. Joe's gave him a scare, for real. Cutting the lead down to two with just 143 to go. I mean... It looked like this was going to be a catastrophic blown lead for Seton Hall. Again, they were up 31-13 to at the end of one. And they were getting outscored 48-32 to since then. And they, again, 31 in the first. They only had 32 the other... Let's see, at this point, 28 minutes and change. Yeah, that's that's not good. And Seton Hall's biggest lead, they led by as many as 20. As they were, you know, they got the first two points of the second quarter to go up 33 to 13. But thankfully for Seton Hall, LPL knocked down four free throws and St. Joe's missed. And Seton Hall got some stops as well. So two free throws for LPL with 116 left. They got a stop. Then City Cooks, after the rebound, turned it over, had the ball stolen, but they got it right back on a turnover. And then St. Joe's had a foul. Boom, boom, boom. LPL, two free throws to after they get the double bonus. They get another stop. And then LPL went 0 for 2 after that. And then St. Joe's on the other end. They miss another three. Amari Wright gets the rebound. Two free throws. And that's all she wrote. Seton Hall survives. 69-61 after that explosive first quarter. LPL, 30 points on 7 of 16 shooting, 4 of 6 from long range, 12 of 15 from the charity stripe. And the thing is, again, she had 19 at the end of the first, only 11 through in the other three quarters. I think she needed 7 points in the fourth. 
and she only had two in each of the second and third quarters. Sydney Cooks a double-double, 17 points, 7 of 14 shooting, and 3 of 5 behind the arc. Let's see. I mean, so those two at 47 combined. Azana Bain, 6 points and 8 rebounds in 28 minutes, and 3 assists, too. They got 4 each from Maya Bembry and Amari Wright. Uh, Bembry with 5 rebounds off the bench. Wright. Six boards, five assists in 30 minutes. Uh, Shea Hagens came off the bench and only had three points. One of seven shooting, one of six from behind the arc in 17 minutes. Victoria Keenan knocked down the first shot of the game, a three-pointer. Um, well, it might not have been the actual first shot of the game. Oh, no, no, no. So, no, she scored Seton Hall's first points of the game. That's my bad. And then two points for Shaylin Pinkney from the free throw line in 18 minutes. The Pirates, 40.7% overall, 40.9% from behind the arc. I mean, Seton Hall won this game despite committing 19 turnovers. They dominate on the glass 42-28 and much better defensively holding St. Joe's to just under 40% from the floor, 38% from behind the arc. Three Hawks in double figures, led by 18 from Laura Ziegler. 7 of 16 shooting, 4 of 9 behind the arc. 17 for Talia Brugler. 7 of 15 from the floor, 1 of 2 behind the arc. 9 rebounds. 10 for Olivia Mullins, the New Jersey native. 4 of 13 from the floor and 1 of 5 behind the arc. How about 9 off the bench for Emma Boslett, another New Jersey native from nearby Edison. 3 of 3 from the floor, knocked down her only 3-point attempt of the game. 5 off the bench for Julia Nystrom. Perfect from the floor, 2 of 2 overall, 1 of 1 from 3. Boslett with 6 boards and 3 assists. Uh, Mullins had a team high, 5 assists. And then just 2 points in 20 minutes, all, all from the free throw line from Mackenzie Smith. So St. Joe's season over, Seton Hall moves on to the next round of the WNIT, and it's Monday night, and it's going to be at home. I'm very surprised they got this game in Walsh, but uh, they're playing Syracuse. Syracuse. Really, I mean, I, I thought they'd be playing that game in the Dome, which, oh my God, if that happened, I would have been there in a heartbeat. Tony, I hope you're listening and, and know that if you guys are going to play in the Dome, I was going to be there without a shadow of a doubt. But instead, I mean, it's in Walsh. So, yeah. And that will be, again, Monday night, 7 o'clock at Walsh Gym, Syracuse. They defeated Kent State in their first round matchup. In the WNIT pretty convincingly. More on that matchup when the time rolls around. On the NCAA tournament side. St. John's Purdue. First four matchup in Columbus. Winner moves on to play North Carolina. And it was a... What an exciting game this was. 
I mean, the kind of equal matchup that you would expect in a first four matchup. It happened, but not without some, you know, not without a blown lead, which it was St. John's blowing the lead or nearly blowing it. Am I spoiling? Am I giving out a spoiler alert? Well, it's not really a spoiler if you watched the game or at least followed along, but if you didn't, yeah, my bad. So it was neck and neck after one. But St. John's went on a three-point rampage in the second quarter with some pretty surprising beneficiaries. Danielle Cosgrove came off the bench because the St. John's bigs were in foul trouble. She came in and knocked down a pair of three-pointers and had eight points in the second quarter. And Unique Drake went crazy off the bench, too. She had 11 heading into the locker room. And the Red Storm were in the lead, 39-33, and were 8-14 of from behind the arc. And for context, they averaged about... Seven threes a game, per game. And the lead just kept building and building. And after three, it was a 12-point game. 60-48. to And that's when St. John's flatlined. And it was a very bad time for that to happen. So the Johnny's biggest lead was 15. But again, couldn't have been a worse time for St. John's to really flatline as Purdue, after going down 60-45, to after that unique Drake 3 late in the third, Purdue scored the next eight points and cut it down to seven after a Lacia Petrie three. St. John stopped the bleeding for the time being with Raven Peoples scoring a bucket. But things really got weird when it was a four-point game. And thank God I was watching right as it was happening. So. They get a transition play, right? Abby Ellis. No, takes the ball after, after the block. And. She goes down the court and is called, and Jayla Everett's called for a foul. After watching the replay, that's all ball. I think she, Ellis kind of flailed a little bit to get the call. So what happened was, Everett was clearly pissed about the call. She lost her cool, got teed up for it. I'll, you know, she shouldn't have lost her cool, but I completely understand why, because it was not the right call at all. And then, while that's going on, uh, Petrie's celebrating, 
clocks Mimi Reed in the face. I don't unintentional. At least I like to believe that because I like to see the better in people. But she gets Mimi Reed in the face. So now you have a technical after review on Petrie. So instead of the two free throws, the technical free throws, and you get the ball back, instead they're just offsetting techs. Abby Ellis gets two free throws. She makes both. And then Purdue takes the lead, uh, ties it up at 62, excuse me. And the scoring drop continues until Jayla Everett comes up with a clutch mid-range jumper with 127 to go to retake the lead. But Purdue ties it back up again. It's Petrie with another with a layup. And then St. John's calls their calls a timeout with 30 seconds left. And who's gonna get the ball here? Jayla Everett. She's been their go-to all year. She made big shots against UConn. And she got the ball in crunch time. And after the ball was deflected out of her hands trying to drive to the hoop, she got it back, threw up a little floater with the clock winding down, switched it home with less than a second to go. Ice cold. So if there's anyone that, you know, should have that moniker with one of the coldest buzzer beaters, especially... In this setting, in March Madness, Jayla Everett channeling the ice in the veins. And it was cold as hell, you know, as she, you know, was celebrating down the court, finds the camera, little PowerPoint, and that's all she wrote. Purdue can't answer, again, with three-tenths of a second to go. St. John survives, despite only scoring six points in the fourth. Final score, 66-64. to The Johnnies, their first tournament win since 2014. The first year of the new Big East, for context. For Everett, that game winner gave her 20 on the night, 7 of 14 from the floor, and 3 of 6 behind the arc. Unique Drake, a huge boost off the bench. 16 points, 6 of 13 shooting, and 4 of 6 behind the arc in 28 minutes. And Danielle Cosgrove, again, a huge boost. 8 minutes, 8 points. All 8 of those points in the first half. 2 of 3 from long range, 2 of 2 from the line. Mimi Reed, 7 points, 5 boards, and 3 assists. 3 of 7 from the floor, and 1 of 4 behind the arc. Jillian Archer with six points and five rebounds in just 19 minutes due to foul trouble. Three of four from the floor. Kadeja Bailey. So St. John's wins despite Bailey's struggles. Four points, seven assists, but one of seven shooting. And then Raven uh, Daniel Patterson knocked down a three. Ten minutes off the bench for her. And then Raven Peoples, two points, seven rebounds, and a couple blocked shots as well. I mean, just an incredible win for the Johnnies, man. So the bench had 22 points in the first half. The only bench uh, 
Only five bench points in the second half, all from Unique Drake. But in the second half, St. John's really cooled off from behind the arc, just three for nine compared to that eight of 14 start in the first half. And for Purdue, I mean, I can't imagine how much this must suck right now because you claw all the way back just to lose the game with three-tenths of a second to go. Gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching enough to lose a heartbreaker like that, but knowing you climbed all the way back to get yourself in the position to potentially force overtime or even win the game in regulation. Like getting your heart ripped out and someone Gronk spiking it to the floor and stepping on it. It sucks. It's a really awful feeling. Anyways, for the Boilermakers, Petrie with 20 points to lead the way. 8 of 15 from the floor, 3 of 4 behind the arc. 14 for Caitlin Harper, 7 of 11 shooting, 6 rebounds. The bench really solid as well. 9 off the bench in 20 minutes for Jayla Smith. 6 each for Ricky Woltman and Madison Layden. Layden 2 of 3 behind the arc and a team high 6 assists. By the way, Abby Ellis, six points off from the free throw line, just three points from Cassidy Harden, and then Janae Terry was held scoreless in 17 minutes. Uh, Some important numbers, I mean, Purdue 16 turnovers, which is not good at all. Purdue, they were 6 of 10 behind the arc. You know, they really heated up from deep in the fourth quarter, especially 49% from the floor. The Johnnies, 44% overall, 11 of 23 from behind the arc. That's right around 48%. I mean, those 11 three-pointers were a huge difference maker. Also, really good free throw shooting on both sides. 7 of 9 for St. John's, 10 of 11 for Purdue. So, big win for St. John's. They're on to the round of 64, and they will take on North Carolina in Columbus on Saturday. So, pretty good day for the Big East, especially when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Big win for St. John's and Coach of the Year, Joe Tartamella and his team. So, before I move on to my men's, you know, keys and all that for Big East teams in action today, which are all five, might as well do my entire bracket reveal. I mean, let's just take a look, first and foremost, at the entire schedule By the way, the first game of the tournament, that distinction, belongs to Marquette. 11.30 on ESPN2. So not too long from now. South Florida's a three and a half point favorite. They're the AAC, well, regular season champs. Uh, They were shockingly defeated 
by Wichita State in the AAC quarterfinal. So I, I like Marquette's momentum here. Big key to the game, you got to get your big three going. That means Jordan King, Chloe Morata, Liza Carlin need to be on their game. If they're not, that could spell trouble for the Golden Eagles. But with South Florida, and they've had a really good year, 26-6. and six. And I'm trying to think of like who's the, who they've lost to. Let's take a look. So their only losses, Michigan, Villanova, a pair of tournament teams. They upset Texas. NC State was another one of their losses. Uh, and they barely lost to Ohio State in overtime back when the Buckeyes were third in the country and undefeated. And then their conference losses... I don't think they, well, they were a little, so they lost one conference game before their upset in the AAC quarters, losing at home to Houston. A team that was 9-13 and going into the game. Not good. And that loss again in the AAC quarters to Wichita State. Yeah, that, that definitely is a red flag for me. I'm taking Marquette. Moving on, uh, West Virginia, Arizona. I'm just going to kind of blaze through the rest, except for the Big East games, obviously. So that's at noon on ESPN. West Virginia, Arizona, down in College Park. Arizona trending downward. West Virginia, on the other hand, they've been playing better basketball. They had won three in a row before a heartbreaking loss at the hands of Oklahoma State in the Big 12 quarterfinals, and, you know, their hot stretch ended up making enough of a difference for them to make it into the field of 68. Don't get me wrong. I like what West Virginia brings to the table, but Arizona, I just think because they've been there, done that, you know, national runner-up way back, well, not way back, but, you know, two years ago, that's encouraging and I know they lost in the second round last year against North Carolina. And the Pac-12 has just been a lot tougher for them to navigate with Stanford, Utah, Washington State, Colorado, UCLA. List goes on and on. West Virginia, I know the Big 12 smaller, but Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, I mean, those are the only three teams that were are ranked well in the, among the top twenty um, heading into the NCAA tournament. And while there was balance, I don't know. It just wasn't nothing about West Virginia is really that impressive, to be honest with you. I'm taking Arizona. I I, I just like their odds better. Now, 130 ESPN2, Georgia taking on Florida State. UGA is a three-point favorite. I honestly can't remember who I picked. That's why I'm going to pull it up right now. I 
I know Georgia's a three-point favorite. I get it, but I just like Florida State here. I really do. I mean, there's a lot to like about Georgia. I mean, second-round team a year ago. They played some of the best teams in the country. I mean, South Carolina, who's undefeated. LSU, who knocked them out in the SEC tournament. But I don't know. I just like Florida State more here. So I'm taking the Seminoles. Now I'm trying to remember if... I'm trying to remember who their head coach is. And I'm pretty sure... No, nah, no, I know. I know. Just bear with me here because I just got to... Okay, so their head coach, I'm like 99% sure. Wait a minute. Ugh, I don't know why I... Was it... I might have had it mixed up between... So the head coach at UCF from last year that pushed UConn to the brink in Gamble in the second round. I'm trying to remember because I thought she went to Florida State, but... um. And uh, it, it's killing me because now I'm trying to look this information up and I can't get it because it was okay. It was Katie Abraham, Katie Abrahamson Henderson, who did great things at UCF. And believe it or not, she's only the third full-time head coach in the history of the Georgia Bulldogs. Which, that's, that is shocking as I look that up. Uh, and I'm, and I, I apologize for those of you listening and feeling like I'm wasting your time. I don't blame you for a second. Um, I don't know. I'm just taking Florida State here. I just like their odds better. And I, who's the biggest difference maker? I mean, Tania Latson is nasty. I mean, she averages 21 a game. And like I said, when, when you have the best player on the court, sometimes that's enough to win. Although, it's still really cool that Georgia, you know, Diamond Battles came over from UCF uh, to join this team, and they play, you know, good defense, not great offense. And Florida State's the complete opposite, where they score 80 a game. So I'm going with the Knowles, at least in that game. All right, so let's move on. 
after that debacle. So South Florida, again, I mentioned three and a half over Marquette. Arizona, seven and a half over West Virginia. Georgia, three-point favorite over Florida State as a 10 over a 7. You're going to laugh at this line. Two o'clock on ESPN. South Carolina is a 49 and a half point favorite over Norfolk State. I don't need to say anymore. South Carolina over Norfolk State. Maryland's a 28 point favorite over Holy Cross. 230 on ESPN News. Give me the Terps. Easy. Michigan's a four and a half point favorite. Three o'clock on ESPNU against 11th seeded UNLV. Listen, UNLV's 31 and 2. I, there's a lot to like about them. But they're not battle-tested. UNLV, their only losses... Let's see. Who have they lost to? They lost against... Wait for it. Pacific, yuck. And Oklahoma State. That spells trouble because Michigan's more battle-tested and they were an Elite Eight team last year. Michigan... I'm taking them. I don't know about the spread, but four and a half, I got them winning. 330 ESPN2. Notre Dame, 22 and a half point favorite over Southern Utah. They just lost Olivia Miles, and she's done for the entire tournament. Fighting Irish at least will win this first game over Southern Utah. Four o'clock on ESPN. Iowa, 31 point favorite over Southeastern Louisiana. Caitlin Clark and I will win big. 5.30 ESPNU, number one seed Virginia Tech. Didn't expect myself to be saying that right now. 27.5 point favorite over Chattanooga. Give me the Hokies over the Mocs. 5.30 ESPN2, LSU, 32 point favorite over Hawaii. I'm taking Kim Mulkey of the Tigers all day, every day. Now, 6 o'clock at ESPN News. That brings us to our other Big East team in action in this game uh, on this day. Creighton taking on Mississippi State. I watched Mississippi State. They did it. They were fantastic against Illinois, routing them by 14. I mean, but this is different, though. Creighton has been playing much better in the second half of the season, like mainly second half of the year specifically with conference play. And I think Creighton more battle-tested. They've been in the tournament. They went deep. Only three and a half point favorites. I'm taking Creighton in this game. Again, I wouldn't be shocked if they covered the spread like going away. 7.30, ESPN2. Stanford, 43 and a half point favorite over Sacred Heart. I'm definitely taking the Cardinal. Easily. Speaking of the Pac-12, 7.30, ESPNU. Second seed, Utah taking on 15th seed, Gardner-Webb. Utah's a 27 and a half point favorite. I'm taking the Utes. Now, 8 o'clock on ESPN News. South Dakota State, 3.5 point favorite as the ninth seed against 8th seed at USC. The Jackrabbits, the WNIT champions a year ago, I'm riding with them. I'm taking the Jackrabbits over the Trojans. 10 Eastern on ESPN2. NC State, 4 point favorites over 10th seeded Princeton. Princeton's a tempting pick. It really was, but I'm taking the Wolfpack. I think Princeton, I know they have... They've had a really good year. Five losses. I mean, they Villanova beat them. Texas beat them. They won at Seton Hall. They almost beat UConn, but UConn was just beat up. This is right after AZ Fudd got hurt. Nico Mule got concussed. And then their two Ivy League losses, they got beat by Columbia in overtime. And then their other loss 
Am I missing something here? They were th- yeah, they were 12 and 2, so they lost one other game. And I'm trying to find where that was. And it's killing me that I can't find it. It says they lost oh, early on in conference play, they lost at Harvard. I just like NC State in this game. I obviously respect what Princeton's done. They have a great head coach, but I'm still taking the Wolfpack. Don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. NWO reference right there. And then Gonzaga, Ole Miss, 10 o'clock on ESPNU. Ole Miss is a two and a half point favorite. I know Gonzaga just lost in the West Coast Conference title game. I like what Ole Miss has done this year a lot. They took South Carolina to overtime. But I'm taking the Zags. I think it's just favorable for them. Playing in Palo Alto. More used to the late night starts. At least on the East Coast. Because this is 7 o'clock their normal time. For Ole Miss, this is like 9 o'clock their time. So day one, it ends I think with Gonzaga beating Ole Miss. Okay, so Saturday, so it starts at 11.30 ESPN2, Indiana 27 and a half point favorite over Tennessee Tech, a first four winner, I'm taking the Hoosiers easy, 1 o'clock on ABC, Tennessee a 24 point favorite as a four seed over St. Louis, and the Billikens a miracle tournament team at 17 and 17, and they made it to the fine they they made it to the tournament on the backs of wins over St. Joe's, Rhode Island and UMass. UMass the heavy favorite to win the A10 tournament, but the Billikens took him down. They were 14 and 17 heading into the tournament there into the A10 tournament. They're 17 and 17 overall going into the NCAA. Tennessee got to the SEC final. They upset LSU in the semis and then lost by 16 to, to South Carolina in the final. Yeah, I'm taking the Vols in Knoxville every day. Um, 130 on ESPN2, Ohio State, 18-point favorite over 14th-seeded James Madison. My brother's a JMU alum. Go Dukes. I also have a local tie because they have a player from my area went to the rival high school of mine. Uh, New Hartford, that is. I went to Whitesboro. Long-standing rivals. And that's Kaya Henderson, a freshman who's played in 12 games, uh, only averages one point. She, I mean, she, she at least knocked down a three in the Big Ten title game. Granted, it was in a 33-point loss to Iowa, but still, good experience. I'm going to take my bias over a local player being on Ohio State over my brother's alma mater. I'm sorry in advance, Matt, but uh, give me the Buckeyes over James Madison. 2 o'clock on ESPN. Oklahoma State's a a 2.5-point favorite over Miami. The the Cowgirls feature former Villanova standout Lior Garzon, who is second on the team in scoring, averaging right around 11 points a game, 3.5 rebounds. 
Oklahoma State was a tempting pick. It really was. But Miami, they play a... Their team is incredibly well-balanced. Led by one half of the Cavender twins, Haley Cavender. Their only other double-digit scorer is, well, on average, is uh, Harden. And I love that my app is malfunctioning right as I'm trying to get this information. It's whatever. It's fine. I'll survive. Da -da 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 -da. Destiny Harden. That's who it was. I feel like I knew that. They're a well-rounded group, and I think that's going to help them here. I know they and they got him. I know they got embarrassed by Virginia Tech in the ACC quarters, but I just like them more over Oklahoma State. I know that. Well, they were trending downward before they got a buzzer beater to beat West Virginia, and then they kept it close with Texas before they ultimately lost. Now moving on. Uh, 2.30 on ESPNU. Florida Gulf Coast taking on Washington State. The Eagles are one-point favorites as a 12 seed. And I think that should tell you a lot about how good FGCU is. They're an incredible three-point shooting team, but Washington State, I love the momentum they got on. Winning four games in the Pac-12 tournament, beating some of the best in the, con in the conference, the best in the country. They beat Cal in the first round and then followed that up with wins over... Utah, Colorado, and UCLA. Honestly, with the wave of momentum Washington State is on. I know FGCU has had a really good year. 32-3 with their only losses being against some really good teams like Stanford. Duke. And they have one loss in a Sun play, which was against Liberty in overtime. I'm going to take the Cougs, who, again, needed to win four games to win that tournament. And they did just that. I think they're comfortable in a tournament setting here. Because of that, give me the Cougs winning over FGCU. 3, three o'clock on ABC, another Big East team in action, UConn. 35.5 point favorite over Vermont. Yeah, Huskies over the Catamounts, easy. 3.30 ESPN2, Toledo taking on Iowa State. The Cyclones are 10 point favorites. Toledo, they went pretty deep in the WNIT last year and even eliminated Marquette. I'm going to take the Cyclones led by, led by their star, Ashley Jones. And then... ESPN, 4 o'clock, St. John's, North Carolina, the Red Storm, trying to carry the momentum of, you know, that dramatic win last night. But against Carolina, I mean, Carolina's been really good. They swept Duke in the regular season. And I'm trying to look at some of the other quality wins they have. They beat Notre Dame by 10 they beat NC State, and then trying to see who some of their other notable wins were. 
I mean, they beat Oregon in the Phil in the Phil Knight Invitational. They also beat Iowa State in that tournament as well. I mean, they have some not great losses, like Syracuse, for example. But I just like the Tar Heels here. I, they got a really good big three with Deja Kelly, Kennedy Todd Williams, and Alyssa Usby. I mean, they I mean they really got a really core four because Eva Hodgson averages nine a game. I'm taking the Tar Heels winning in Columbus. Five o'clock, another Big East team on ESPNU. Villanova hosting Cleveland State. Cleveland State's thirty and four. There's a you got to respect them having a thirty win season. And their only losses, Iowa State. And by the way, this this Cleveland State team won at DePaul in overtime. I know I admonished DePaul for losing that game earlier in the year, but you know what? Obviously, in hindsight, not as bad. And then, let's see, other losses. I think they lost three games in the Horizon League. Green Bay swept them. And then they lost to Northern Kentucky. But Cleveland State got together and won the uh, Horizon League title. I'm going to take Nova, though. I mean, Maddie Segrist, good luck beating her. And then in uh, 5.30 ESPN2 at Gamble, Alabama-Baylor. The Bears are one-point favorites. By the way, Nova's an 11.5-point favorite. I'm going to take Baylor over Bama. I just... Their experience and all that is more to their advantage against Bama. And I'm shocked to see it that low of a one-point spread. Now, 7 o'clock ESPN News. Middle Tennessee State's a one-and-a-half-point favorite over Colorado. The Blue Raiders were a WNIT Final Four team. They got beat by Seton Hall. I'm going to take the Blue Raiders getting an upset. In the 12-5 game, Louisville, five-and-a-half-point favorite over Drake. I'm taking Haley Van Lith and the Cards getting the dub. Moving on, ESPNU at 9 o'clock. Oklahoma taking on Portland. The Sooners are 8.5 point favorites. I think this is probably the most bold upset pick I have in the first round. I got the Pilots upsetting the Sooners. Yeah, I'm going there. Now, and by the way, that's at Pauley Pavilion, a site of a pretty historic upset. Kansas State over Oregon State in the 81 NCAA tournament. 9.30 ESPN2, Duke taking on Iona. Duke's a 24-point favorite. Give me uh, Carol Lawson and the Dukies beating Iona. Then 10 o'clock ESPN, Texas, your four seed taking on 13th seed, East Carolina, who stole a bid winning the AAC. Their season will come to an end, though. Deep in the heart of Texas in Austin. Give me the Longhorns. Over ECU. And then 11.30 ESPN2. Easy taking UCLA over Sacramento State. Bruins are only 14.5 point favorites. Over the Hornets. In an in-state matchup. Now the rest of the bracket. 
Uh, my Sweet 16 in Greenville won. I got South Carolina, UCLA. I got Creighton upsetting Notre Dame and then Maryland. In Greenville 2, I got Indiana moving on. Villanova getting to the Sweet 16 on the backs of their star, Maddie Segrist. She will not be denied at the Finn in her final games there, period. Then I got LSU and then Utah advancing to the Sweet 16. And then Seattle 3. Seattle 3. I got Virginia Tech moving on. Iowa State over Tennessee. I'm going to take North Carolina over Ohio State to get to the Sweet 16. And then I'm going to pick UConn, obviously, in my Sweet 16. And then Seattle 4. Stanford. I got Louisville upsetting Texas. And then I got Duke and Iowa as well. Elite 8. South Carolina over UCLA. And I think Creighton's going to upset Maryland to set up a rematch of last year's Elite Eight matchup in Greensboro, but this time in Greenville, different state. Greenville 2, believe me, I was tempted. Really tempted to pick Villanova upsetting Indiana. But in the end, I think Indiana just has more well-roundedness with their team and this is no disrespect to Denise Dillon's group. Maddie Segrist is going to be the best player on the floor by far. But I think Indiana is more game to handle, you know, let Maddie do her thing and let everyone else beat them. And I think that's really good teams like UConn know how to scout Villanova. And Indiana's a really good team. I'm going to take the Hoosiers in a tight game which would be a tough end for Maddie Seeger's career. But yeah, I got the Hoosiers and I got Utah. I was tempted to pick LSU. I really was. But I'm going to take Utah. I mean, they didn't get the number one seed in the Pac-12 tournament for no reason. And then Seattle three. This is going to come as a surprise. I'm taking Iowa State upsetting Virginia Tech. And then, in no surprise, UConn over North Carolina. Final four, South Carolina beats Creighton once again to get to the final four. Indiana beats Utah. UConn over Iowa State. And I'm going to take Iowa upsetting Stanford to get to the final four. And then in the title game, I got South Carolina versus UConn. And then I know UConn's getting healthy again. But I think if they had more depth, and think about... The fact that UConn was basically a full strength minus Dorka Juhas. And South Carolina still beat him by 15. That's not great. And for South Carolina, this is going to be like deja vu. To go back to the arena in City where they won their first ever national championship when they beat Mississippi State. But this time they go back as an undefeated team. You know, it's kind of like a full circle thing, I would assume, for Dawn Staley and her team. And for them to win their third national championship. Well, technically, well, in the COVID season, and based on the simulation, I had South Carolina winning the title over Oregon. But again, that never happened. So therefore, you know, if it, didn't actually happen, then it doesn't count. So, will South Carolina in a national championship game rematch raise that third banner? Yes. I got the Gamecocks winning, and here's the thing about last year, right? 
So minus Dorky Juhas, they have their entire team. Complete with Kristen Williams, Olivia Nelson Adota, Avina Westbrook, who are gone now as you know, graduating. Paige and AZ were healthy. Aaliyah Edwards, obviously a shell of herself then compared to now. But still. UConn was as close to full strength as you could possibly get. And yet, they still got beat by 15 and South Carolina just dominated them. I mean, I'm encouraged that UConn only lost by four when they only had six players to South Carolina, but that was in Hartford. This is on a neutral court. I'm going to take the Gamecocks winning the national championship, finishing a perfect season. So yeah, that's my women's bracket. So keys for today on the men's side and all five Big East teams in action. 1240 on True TV. Xavier's a 12-point favorite over Kennesaw State. I mean, the big thing is you got to come out with with the energy against a Kennesaw State team that is making their first ever tournament appearance. They're going to be playing with a lot of juice. But I think for Xavier, given that they haven't been in the tournament since 2018, they're going to come out with more energy. And they're not going to be complacent. At least I would hope they are and believe they will. So I'm going to take the Musketeers. But the big thing is, you can't be sleepwalking going into this game. I know it's an early tip in Greensboro, but you got to come out ready to play. You can't be sleepwalking. You have to, and I know that they will. They'll wake up ready to play. As for Marquette, ten and a half point favorite over Vermont. The big thing is you got to, if you're Marquette, you got to stick to the status quo. You got to be doing everything that you've been doing to just maintain the role you've been on. Again, having not lost since February 7th. I think if they do that, Marquette wins big. Creighton, four o'clock on TNT, five and a half point favorite over NC State. Yeah, the big thing is you got to, you know, really contain that one, two, punch in the backcourt of uh, Smith and Joyner. DJ Burns is obviously going to be a difference down low, but he's an undersized big like Michael Michael DeRosa pointed out. And that does not bode well against Ryan Kalkbrenner. Creighton's just more well-rounded. And I think for Creighton, you got to be have the offense clicking on all cylinders, not turning the ball over. Got to make sure your three-point shot is falling. That is that that is a fact. You got to make sure you're hitting at least eight three pointers for the whole game. At least eight, because NC State can fill it up as good as anyone. And you look at the number of three pointers made; they've made 278 over 33 games. Creighton, in the same amount of time, they've made. 294. It's going to be a three-point battle. But Creighton, they got to 
you know, limit them on the perimeter. Obviously, protect the paint. And, you know, they have Ryan Kalkbrenner, two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Grant, I don't know. The metrics may say that he shouldn't have won it, but the, the award still went to him, and he's got to continue to prove that. And I think he will against the Wolfpack. 4.30 on TBS, Iona, UConn. Listen, UConn's a nine-point favorite, and here's the thing with them, okay? They got some demons to exercise. Losing to Maryland two years ago in a game where they couldn't have struggled more shooting the ball, and then last year getting upset by New Mexico State and letting Teddy Allen go off for 37. I think now that's in Albany, it's going to be much more to their favor. Iona fans are going to show out because up until, I think, 2019 or 20, the the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference Tournament for a long time was in the building they're playing in, MVP Arena in Albany, and, Al- and Iona had a lot of success there. Granted, it was under Tim Clewis, but now you got Rick Patino. If you're Dan Hurley in UConn, listen, you got to take care of business. You got to lock in. Andre Jackson has to be the catalyst of the offense because if he's non-existent, whether it be for foul trouble or struggling to shoot the ball, run the offense, turning it over, etc., he needs to be on his game, which I think he will be. He's energized back in his home area, just 40 miles from home. Give me the Huskies beating Iona and then you. Kentucky's only a four-and-a-half-point favorite over Providence, which is shocking. Like like Michael DeRosa said, this is a matchup nightmare. I, like him, I absolutely hate this matchup for Providence. I know Bryce Hopkins is going to be juiced up to play his former team, going to play with a chip on his shoulder to try to prove something against a lot of his former teammates and his former head coach. But Kentucky's going to be too much to handle, especially with Oscar Sheebway down low. I mean, I mean, good luck trying to stop him, whether it be Hopkins or Ed Croswell. Whatever bodies they're going to try to throw down low on Shibway, it's just not going to be enough. Uh, and Kentucky's going to win. If Providence wants to win, they got to contain Shibway, protect the three-point line. And like Michael DeRosa said, if they can get him in pick and roll and working off ball screens, that'll help. But... It's tough to like, you know, Jared Bynum doing that. But with tip-off coming up soon, I think it's best for me to cut this episode off. Episode 300 of the Igloo coming up tomorrow. I feel like I'm cutting these episodes off prematurely, so I want to take my time. Listen, Kentucky 12-6 and in the SEC this year. They've had their spells of looking just god-awful. But Providence is, like I said, they've looked awful in their last five games. They've lost four of the last five. And minus 34 in that stretch. Compare that to Kentucky in their last five. Granted, they won three of five. They're both, both their losses come to Vanderbilt by a combined nine points. But Kentucky... Plus 49 in their three wins, minus nine in their two losses, so plus 40 
with a three and two record in their last five. Providence, on the other hand, one and four in their last five, minus thirty four. So I'm taking Kentucky. And I think four and a half is a little generous, to be honest with you. But, I w- listen, I'll be rooting for Providence. I'm rooting for the Big East as a whole. I really am. But, this, it ugh, just doesn't look good for Providence. And I know there's talk. Like, oh, this might be Ed Cooley's last game at Providence before he takes the job at Georgetown. Like, like first of all, everyone just relax. I'm one of those people, again, I will believe it when I see it, okay? And it hasn't happened yet. Who knows? I mean, maybe behind the scenes, this may have been a done deal. That remains to be seen. And nobody knows that. Even the insiders who think they have a fast track on it. I don't think they know either. But it's just, uh, it, it would be tough for Ed Cooley to go out as Providence head coach having, you know, losses in five of his final six games as the head coach. But again, keys for Providence. Contain Oscar Shibway in the paint. Try to expose the freshmen on this Kentucky squad. You know, a lot of them being, you know, those typical one and done guys like Casey Wallace. But this Kentucky team is not like previous Kentucky teams. They have a lot of experience. I think uh, Cal might have learned his lesson with all these one-and-done guys, and now he has experienced dudes like Shibwe, a senior, Reeves, a senior, Jacob Toppin, senior, Severe Wheeler, senior, C.J. Frederick, senior. So the only freshmen of note are Wallace and Chris Livingston. This is an older team. Which, for Kentucky, it's going to be much better for them. And then on top of that, like I said, like I, I think it was, I might have said it yesterday. I can't remember. But Kentucky is a lot hungrier, given the heartbreaking loss they just suffered at the hands of St. Peter's a year ago, which... It's almost like Deja Vu, a team named the Wildcats as a two-seed, got upset by a 15-seed from New Jersey. And that was the big story, one of the biggest upsets. Arizona getting upset by Princeton. And then obviously you have Furman shockingly taking down Virginia, which, does it prove Virginia are frauds? Probably. And that, if anything, the 2019 run was a fluke and roots to a national title and not 2018 where they lost as a one seed to 16 seed to UMBC. I like that take a lot more, especially with the stupid mistake they made. Kihei Clark chucking the ball all the way down the court, led to a steal, led to the game-winning three. So yeah, I like that belief a lot more. But yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of the Igloo, finally. 
Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. Probably going to, I got to string something together, something big for episode number 300 coming up tomorrow for day 18 of the marathon. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Enjoy the day. I'll catch you tomorrow for episode 300.